You are listening to the In Defense of Plants podcast, a show designed to cure plant blindness around the globe. If you would like to give your support to In Defense of Plants, please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash plants, and together we can help cure plant blindness one episode at a time. Hello everyone and welcome to the In Defense of Plants podcast, the official podcast of indefensiveplants.com. What's up? This is your host Matt. Welcome to the show. How's everyone doing this week? A big shout out and a big thank you to everyone who tuned in last night for the live premiere of our documentary, Cascades. Really appreciated you taking time out of your Saturday evening to sit down and hang out with us while we watched. It was a lot of fun getting to interact with some of you. If you missed it, please do not worry because it is now up for everyone to see at any point in time over at youtube.com slash plants. Go check it out. It was funded by a wonderful group of people over on Kickstarter and it was a great experience overall. We learned a lot in the filmmaking process, and I think the end product is absolutely beautiful. A big shout out to Sarah Johnson, whose footage was invaluable in the process of putting this film together, and an extra special shout out to Grant, who put in literally all of the hard work editing and piecing together the footage that we captured. That was not an easy task, and I think what he did with all of the stuff we shot was absolutely incredible. So again, go check it out, youtube.com slash plants. It's called Cascades. All right, today... This is a topic I've been long waiting to tackle, and I'm really excited that our guest today is the person that decided to tackle it with me. We are talking about palms. Now, palm trees may be one of the most readily recognized group of plants around the globe, but despite how recognizable palm trees are, relatively speaking, far fewer people know much about them. But I hope to change that for you today. Joining us is Mike Nell. He's an apprentice at the Floribunda Palm Nursery in Hawaii, and Mike is completely obsessed with palm trees. It's a really inspiring story about how he got into it and what he's done to pursue his love of palms. And Mike's passion for these plants is contagious, to say the least. Of course, this is a huge topic to cover. Palms are amazingly diverse plants. But I think what we did was provide a great introduction to this group of plants. And don't worry, Mike will definitely be back on the podcast and we can talk a little bit more in depth about some of his favorite groups. Before we get to that conversation, I just wanted to remind you that In Defense of Plants now has apparel, among other things, for sale. Head on over to teespring.com stores slash In Defense of Plants and check out all of the great t-shirt, hoodie, mugs that we have up there for sale. And remember that 10% of your purchase is being donated to the Rainforest Trust. All right, that's entirely enough out of me. Let's head on over to my conversation with Mike. I hope you enjoy. All right, Mike Nell, thanks for coming on the podcast. People might know you better as Palm Gallery on Instagram, but how about you tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do? Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. Uh, Yeah, my name is Mike Nell. I'm originally from South Africa. Uh, My parents brought me to America for schooling, and South Africa is not especially known for palm trees. There are about five or six endemic ones there. But the first place my parents brought me to in America just happened to be the state that has a palm tree on its flag, uh, (laughs) South Carolina. So I'm not sure if that was like one of the seeds that was planted in my brain. Uh, But it also added to a lot of confusion because I remember one of my first memories of seeing and talking about the sable palmetto, the state tree, was somebody telling me, 
it's not a palm tree, it's a palmetto. Oh. Yeah, so it was, for the longest time, I had that split in my brain of coconuts and dates or palms, and everything else isn't. Huh. I think I just learned something from that. <laughs> we'll get into that in a little bit, though. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'll go into a few tangents, probably. But anyway, so, you know, palms and tropical plants had always been you know, just like that wanderlust trigger for me where it's like, oh man, you know, you see these pictures of the Seychelles and mm. Mauritius and just these, you know, Thailand, these exotic locations. And a lot of times the focal point is a palm tree. And so, you know, I'd always had a fascination with life and plants, but in the back of my head, you know, the tropical climate was definitely calling to me in a way just because... It was something I hadn't really experienced in my homestead. Right. Um, yeah, I did some tropical traveling after being in California for a while, and it just started to ramp up a little bit because I was doing IT work, a lot of like point of sale coordination for grocery stores and whatnot. And if you walked into my office, I mean, you probably couldn't even see me just because I'm surrounded by my indoor jungle. And so I would like cultivate all these tropical plants and just kind of be half focused on the computer and then half focused on, you know, just making sure they were okay. That's cool. Um, but one day I stumbled across this website called rarepalmseeds.com. It's run by a German guy named Tobias Spanner, and it kind of blew my mind in a lot of ways because it's just this giant list of Latin names <laughs> where you can purchase seeds by mail order. And I was looking at this giant list, and I was like, oh, okay, palm seeds. And I was like, well, this is a lot. And so I started <laughs> clicking through these names, and... Toby has a knack for finding, you know, the primo picture for just about every species. It'll be like some full-grown wonder or like a habitat photo. Hmm. And so I was clicking through this list, and it just, it changed my whole perception of what a palm tree is, you know. Before then, you know, I'd seen some, the Dipsis lutescens, like in Camadoria indoor palms, but it never really sunk in that they would be related to coconuts and dates and mm. what I had always presumed to be a palm tree. And so I just went through this list and by the end of it, I was hooked. You know, I had just seen enough to want to learn more and more and more. It really was like the gate because I before that I was in the conifers. I would make pilgrimages to go see Sequoia and Monterey mm. Cypress and just, you know, I was I always love plants, but for me, palm trees, they clicked in my brain in a very specific way that kind of allowed me to see the bigger picture of how things develop over like an evolutionary time scale. Huh. And not just that, it's like one of the most puzzling families that you can study because they're so morphologically diverse. Yeah. You yeah. know, so you have this thing that all these, you know, 26, 2700 species, you can trace them all back to a monophyletic origin. So like they all have this common ancestor. So it's a bit like seeing the end result of like all the, you know, it's almost like a capillary system <laughs> where you have this big branch and then like from that big branch, everything spreads out. And then you look at the end result of all these trails 
and it's amazing how you can just piece them all together. Yeah. Like, if someone looks at a coconut and then looks at a date, they're like, oh, of course they're related. You know, they look the same. Right. And then you go in and see some of these rare Southeast Asian palms and the ones that are just, you know, baffling either in size or structure. And then you're like, wow, I can't even believe these are related. <laughs> and then, like, as you learn a little bit more and more and more, and you start zooming in closer and closer to the flowers and everything, you go back to being like, of, of course they're related, you know? So it's just this ebb and flow of knowledge. And yeah, it's quite a tale of luck as well, because that fire that got lit in with me just ended up being like a passion that, you know, every day I would wake up, it'd be the first thing I'd think about. Hmm. And so my interest in IT and converting spreadsheets and, you know, SQL databases kind of dropped and dropped and dropped. And eventually there was just a breaking point where I was looking at my palm trees and in my office and I was like, if I could just do this all day, I don't care what it is, you know, just mm. like even simple nursery work, I feel like I would be happier than I am now. So it just kind of grew off of like an aesthetic thing into like an intellectual thing into just like a complete all-consuming passion and so i basically gave notice to all of my clients and picked up the phone and started calling people uh, eventually i went on this forum called palm talk for fellow palm enthusiasts and i just put out like a hail mary i was like look i want to change a pace please tell me how i can get into the palm world you know, was, my exact question was, what does a life directed at palm trees look like? <laughs> and they jokingly responded, poverty. <laughs> uh, which, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm glad that you told me that. But, you know, let me rephrase. I'm not interested in the money. Right. You right. know, just tell me, like, what I can do to just be fully absorbed in these. And I started getting more and more serious responses and then job offers, I guess, just because I was so persistent and being like, look, I really want to do this. So I was looking at Florida and Puerto Rico because Florida has a huge nursery scene. Yeah. Eventually, my friend Kim Sire pointed me by email towards Jeff Marcus, who it's a bit like saying, oh, you, you like movies? Well, just give Steven Spielberg a ring, you know? <laughs> No big deal. Of course, I had heard of Jeff because, you know, Jeff and Tobias Banner of Rare Palm Seeds are like, those are the two, you know, Toby does seeds, Jeff does seedlings, and he's just a horticulture conservation master. Like, you know, a lot of people on Palm Talk will just say Jeff, and then everybody is like, oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. Right on. So I couldn't hear an idea like that and not just make an attempt to reach out to this guy. And so I did. And... Yeah, it was an amazing phone call that changed my life because he didn't necessarily say, yeah, I got a job for you, come on down. But he broke down what Hawaii was like. And then the magic words were, if you make it here, you know, of course I'm going to show you around. I'm not going to turn you away. <laughs> and so I hung up the phone and I was like, I talked to Jeff Marcus. That's it. So I, <laughs> I bought my one-way ticket to Hawaii and had a, a backup plan working at an eco-hostel. Nice. But unfortunately, I didn't even need it because three days after I was here, the person that was in my position at the garden walked out on Jeff. Whoa. And yeah, and he gave me a call saying, are you on the island? 
And I'll, I'll never forget that moment because, yeah, I got to say yes. You know? <laughs> it's like, I'm here. Uh, so he's like, someone just walked out on me. Do you think you could, you know, come and help me out? Wow. I was like, absolutely. He said, be there Monday. I was there on Monday. This was almost two years ago now. And I haven't missed a day since, you know. It's, it's one of those things where I'd be daydreaming about palm trees in the garden and everything and then kind of snap out of it and realize that I'm driving on my way to the place that I'm <laughs> in. So it was really, wow. yeah, I don't think, I don't think I could have gotten any luckier because Jeff's garden is just an incredibly amazing place. Yeah. It's full grown specimens of almost half of the total species of palms. And Hawaii is a very special climate. Uh, it's kind of temperate, but you know, still subtropical. So, you know, it gets a little bit cool, but doesn't freeze ever. Mm -hmm. So the range of things you can grow here is just astounding. And by skill and environment, this garden is world class. And I'm fortunate enough to have the opportunity to help take care of it. That is fantastic, man. What a beautiful trajectory and just an amazing opportunity to be presented with, especially with everything you described in terms of becoming obsessed and, and finding your way through this hobby into making it something professional. I mean, that that's remarkably inspiring to hear that. But again, it's great to have a network of people to draw on because otherwise, you know, without that forum, how many times would you be able to, to meet and greet and, 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 you know, shake hands or at least interact with the right kinds of people? Exactly. And honestly, I probably would have been too timid to just be like, yeah, I can call Jeff Marcus and go to Florida <laughs> and work and stuff. So just having that idea planted. And of course, I owe a lot to my parents as well, because just in every, I originally wanted to be an audio engineer, you know, and when I said that and I wanted to go to school for that, they're like, sure, sure, sure. And then flash forward to when I'm doing IT work, I'm like, oh, I want to, you know, drop everything and do palm trees. And they had no hesitation. Oh, like, good. we can tell it makes you happy. Go for it. So, yeah, just having the support system, the networking, just putting myself in the right place at the right time. It feels like fate in a way because just so much has happened since I've been here, both in the garden and out. Because, um, of course, Hawaii had its lava flow and I heard the first fissure break out. Ooh. Yeah. So I was in the dining room and a friend came up to me and said, well, what's that noise? And I was like, oh, it's probably a bulldozer. <laughs> no, I was wrong. It <laughs> It's lava. It was, yeah, it was the lava breakout. And so, yeah, that changed everything. The island was scrambling. Uh, a few months later, we had a hurricane. Yeah. And a lot of people don't believe me, but I was at the garden during and after all that. And we got just about 60 inches of rain in wow. three or four days. And it's just a mind-boggling amount of water. So yeah. we got flooded out a little bit. I've just I've seen it all since I've been here, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So <laughs> it just feels like every day is an adventure, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's the 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 only way I could really think of properly describing it is just what a damn adventure you're on. But that's incredible, and it's so cool that it's centered around palm trees because. There's There seems to be this cultural phenomenon, at least here in the States, that they're one of the most readily recognized trees 
Mr. Mm-hmm. Not. Someone can point out of a lineup roughly what a palm tree is. But in terms of right. people that know about them, can interact with them and work with them, that's disproportionate to the familiarity uh, in, in, in a lesser way. I mean, they're, they're not a big hobby plant necessarily for most home growers. Um, mm-hmm. Unless you live in, in a climate that can support them, they're not part of the right. landscape that often. And, and it's really cool to find people that do get into these sorts of things because, like you said, once you unlock that door to even a, a casual understanding of the diversity, suddenly you've unlocked just endless amounts of entertainment and, and questions to ask and species to explore and get to know. It's It's got to be such a, like you said, just you, you daydream going into it and then you actually <laughs> get to go into it. Um, but, uh, you know... To kind of paint a bigger picture, because again, I think, you know, you can point a palm tree out of a lineup, but what is it? I mean, they're they're unique. They're not trees in the sense that, uh, you know, like a maple or or even a pine tree of some sort is a tree. They're, they're a different lineage altogether, and that makes right. them pretty unique. So in your mind, you know, what is it about palm phylogeny and, and morphology in, in terms of their mm. evolutionary place on the family tree? What What are they? Well, I guess the most broad description is that they're monocots. So a lot of people are familiar with the extremely popular monocots like wheat and bananas and stuff like that. The way I described them initially is just like a grass that decided to become a tree. It's <laughs> it's a, you know, vast oversimplification, but if you can kind of piece it like that main ancestor if you can piece it within the splits in the clades within the monocots, it becomes a lot easier because you see these lines going all which ways and then suddenly, you know, the branch of Ericaceae splits off. And so they're herbaceous and they have like a single push when they're a seedling, so one leaf. And that's true for all monocots and palm trees, you know, big or small, they all start with this little strap leaf. And getting more and more specific, you get to the splits where you start to see palm-like things develop. If you trace it all the way down, like uh, the grass trees in Australia, like Kingia, which is, you know, it looks like a bunch of grass that just goes up and up and up. (laughs) So you can see that that main ancestor was something like that. If we look in the pollen record and the fossil record, stretches back 93 million years. And then... Uh, some of the molecular analysis that has been done suggests that they're, they were around even earlier. That's just the first record we have of them. And if you look at these fossils and deductions from the pollen record, you can see kind of like the prototypes for a lot of these tribes within Ericaceae. Uh, so a lot of them look like an ancestor to the fan palms or Nipa, which is a mangrove palm is you know probably one of the oldest fossils ever found of palm trees so you can kind of see what was around before and then kind of see what's around now and then kind of trace the history because they have this global distribution so that ancestor was you know incredibly good at surviving and my analysis is just that it was the way that it could harmoniously transform with its surroundings because you look at a lot of the flowers and stuff, they're specific to certain pollinators. So you have these, like all these plants that kind of change readily with their situation, which is why you get such morphological diversity. Again, that's part of like that puzzle where you can see these things and they will blow your mind that they're related. 
But then once you trace them back, you're like, ah, yes, I see, because you know, all the seeds have the same structure in terms of parts. Right. And that's the thing is in, in terms of like a plant family, it's hard to imagine seeds that look more different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, palm trees have a lot of superlatives. One of them is the largest fruit, you know. So Ladoisia maldivica, the double coconut, has this huge fused seed that, you know, is about as big as your chest. And then that goes all the way down to like a Copernicia seed, which is looks like a BB. <laughs> and then, you know, you can show these two seeds to somebody and say, you know, is this from plants that are related? And most people will just say, absolutely not. But if you cut them open, look at the layers, you'll see the same exocarp, mesocarp, you know, endosperm, all that. And so it's fascinating to see all these different, I mean, it's just mind boggling that the amount of shapes and forms these seeds can take. And yet they all have these same parts that can all be traced back. Like, for example, there's a palm tree in Madagascar called Saturnala. And scientists at Kew Gardens have kind of come up with this theory that the odd ruminations in the seed, because it's like the inside of a walnut, very brainy craggy seed Hmm. they have a theory that the reason it's shaped like that is to facilitate distribution from is now extinct but the elephant birds so these giant birds in madagascar uh, would eat these seeds and then distribute them and they between the shape of the seed and the studies of these birds they're pretty sure that the seed is through like mutual convergence they kind of have this seed that fits in the throat of this giant bird just right <laughs> and so yeah it's like the seeds kind of change both with the distribution and then with the uh, environment as well because you look at a coconut it it floats yeah you get halfway across the ocean so it's like all these different structures and things. Palms feel very alive. You know, they feel like they're changing and growing and they're just like this adaptive, super genetic, tropical plant. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're phenomenal. And I, I, I got to admit, I was really late to the palm game in terms of trying to appreciate them. I'm not going to claim I know very much about them at all. But, you know, again, as a, as a northerner, I had not experienced them firsthand unless I went to like Florida or something like that. Right. And even then, it's you see a subset, and they're largely the large landscape, tall single right. stem sort of things, and and they're all beautiful. But then you go to the tropics, anywhere in the tropics, and suddenly you're confronted with that diversity of shape and form. And even then, it's only right. a subset. But for people that are curious and, and like to get obsessed with something, there's so mm-hmm. much that palms can offer. And what's really cool about your appreciation for them is that you've you've been able to be exposed to all of palm diversity to some degree or another and get this bigger mm-hmm. picture where you can start to see some of the relationships and appreciate the uniqueness of some of their lifestyles. And like you said, there's there's these isolated groups that you know, are, are molding to their environment and interacting with species in different ways. And that lends a lot to their success and distribution on a, on a global scale, I'm assuming. But, you mm. know, a, a lot of people look at it and they think it's a tree, again, just like an angiosperm dicot uh, with, right. with woody rings, but that's not the case. So I guess on a, on a very basic level, before we start getting into more of the nitty gritty stuff, um, mm. You know, being a monocot, does that make building a monocot tree different than what we think of as maybe an oak tree? Oh, for sure. So, yeah, palms don't produce cambium, um, so they don't have that layer that can allow them to have that secondary growth, you know, where they get wider and wider and wider after they've become tall. And, of course, palm trees are 
you know, the queens of exception. So they, you know, any rule I tell you, there's probably one or two palms that break it in some way. Uh, But if it does happen in palm trees, it's even called anomalous secondary growth, you know, because it's not the same kind of, like if you cut a palm tree down, shame on you, uh, (laughs) you will see there's no rings. It's just, it looks like it's made out of a bunch of little straws. So, you know, it's still xylem and phloem, but it's all these straws kind of like, yeah, if you just took a big pack of straws and just squeezed them together into a s- cylinder, you kind of get the idea of what a palm tree is about. And from this, since they can't really grow out sideways after they've gotten tall, they spend a lot of time building their roots. So they have adventitious roots that just kind of build this plate that spreads horizontal, and then each new root development to the side allows the meristem to be that much wider. Hmm. And so you just have this plate of roots that, because a lot of people get frustrated growing palms because when you plant them or repot them or whatever, they don't do anything for a while. And the reason behind that is because they're sitting there building their roots. They can't do anything above the surface until they have the proper support from the root system. Wow. And it's interesting because part of the the cambium layer and the way dicots grows, they can allow themselves to heal because they kind of cover their wounds. There's quite a, it's not really a debate, but it's a gray area where if you read a lot of things about palm trees, they'll say they cannot recover from injury and that it's almost a death sentence if you cut into them a little bit, Hmm. which is 100% not true in my experience because I've witnessed coconuts at the beach that were in a less than ideal spot for the landscaper's mind. And this one in particular I'm thinking about, they had attempted to girdle it. So girdling is like when you chop the cambium layer off in a full circumference around a dicot, and that'll kill it because it can only bring nutrients up through that thin little layer by the bark. Right. You know? And so if you cut off that nutrient supply chain, that tree's a goner. Uh, palms, since they're that just bundle of straws, if you hack some of the straws off the side just going to use other straws on the other side. And so I've seen coconuts that are 50, 60 feet tall that someone has cut the bottom of the trunk down to like this thin little softball <laughs> size ring. And yet, if you look at the top, you couldn't tell a difference. You know, it had been years since that had happened. So palms don't necessarily heal, but they do kind of desiccate and kill off the exposed areas and concentrate on the parts that are still working. So you kind of see... It's not so much a scar, but it just kind of, you know, dries out that area. So it's not true protection, but palms aren't as fragile as a lot of people will lead you to believe. Uh, The trunking ones, anyway. There are plenty understory things in Central South America that you could just walk up to and snap, so... Yeah, and I mean, just to say that all have converged on trees is erroneous, too. I mean, there's the rattan palms, Mm -hmm. which are essentially vines, and then there's all those little weird ones that are... They look more herbaceous and down on the ground Mm -hmm. than they do. But um, you had mentioned earlier in our conversation that there was this difference between palm and palmetto. Are those two major tribes or distinctions between the two (laughs) groups? Or, I mean, we're we're from the family level, Eric Casey, to the next step of, like, organization. How do do palms really sort out uh, from that point on? Yeah, so that's the thing is palmettos are certainly palm trees. Palmetto is just the nickname for a species called sable palmetto. Okay. And so that one fits into this bigger picture of the splits where 
initially you kind of have this like i suppose the first offshoot was these rattans you were talking about so from this monophyletic origin you had this kind of split right away with calamoidae which is includes all of the rattans but then other somewhat spiny things that look more like traditional palm trees like raffia and things like that so you have them and they're kind of the weirdos like you said uh, calamus which is like a rattan palm is a climber and a lot of people don't think of palms as like climbing vines but calamus has more species than any other genus in the entire family. Jeez. So it's, yeah, it's like almost it, a solid percentage are these like spiny, thorny vines that just kind of <laughs> run all over Southeast Asia. And they're remarkable in and of themselves because they can get 200 meters long, which yeah. is a mind blowing size for like this spiny vine. You know, I can only imagine because they harvest and use rattan and furniture. So I can only imagine when they're harvesting these ridiculously long vines, it blows their mind as well. Just like, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, when you think of just like stem, that's that's more stem than a redwood or a sequoia. Right. It's just you know, surface right. area to volume that's, very differently. That's a long straw, yeah. So from that split, you start you see the nipa pop up pretty early on, and nipa is like this mangrove palm that has these kind of floaty seeds like coconuts, but they're smaller and kind of geometric shaped and i actually learned yesterday that hawaii is wanting to ban these plants that are considered noxious weeds uh-huh. and you know i was flipping through the list of proposed species not expecting to see a palm tree on there because they're not you know they can be a little invasive but noxious weed is a bit strong but sure enough nipa one of the oldest palms on record is in that grouping because it will completely take over natural native mangroves in certain areas. And so that was a surprise, you know, I learned something new every day with this. So it's amazing to think about NEPA just being a nuisance, but I suppose it truly would be, you know, outside a habitat. But it's interesting to think of, you know, this very old plant that's been around for so long, you know, it's indicative of why it's been around for so long. It's just a it grows so prolifically. Mm. And then a little bit further down, after you have the Nipa branch, is the big split. So, again, going back to like the sable palmetto thing, I'll see a coconut or a date, and you can point to that and say, okay, these are palm trees, right? And people will be like, yes, of course. And then you point to a fan palm, and you're like, well, is this a palm tree too? And then all of a sudden, people remember fan palms. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'd call those palms, but you know, they're different in some way. And so I guess it makes my job easier with getting people excited about palms is that everyone pretty much has that gateway where they like, you know, it's an aesthetic thing and they're common in tropical areas. And a lot of people in temperate areas will kind of like try their best to grow them or grow the ones that are successful there. So people have this idea And then you can just kind of tease them by being like, well, what about this? What about that? (laughs) And then you can feel it in their mind. You know, you can feel those areas opening up and they're like, wow, this is this is a much bigger picture than I thought. And that's exactly the experience I had as well. I haven't been in this realm for long at all. You know, it's probably stretches back seven years or so. Right. From like the first time I ever got excited about palms all the way up until now. And I've only been doing it professionally for under two years. 
so that's the thing. I'm still in that wave of, oh my gosh, this is so diverse and incredible. And I love to share that with people because I, you know, with certain people, I see that same, those light bulbs light up where they're like, wait, you're telling me all this is related. And then you show them a picture of Johannes Dishmania, which is this big diamond shaped leaf. And, you know, it's there. I can hook people if you give me half an hour, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> So this big split basically can be summed up as induplicate and reduplicate leaves. Induplicate basically means that the V of the fold of each leaflet is pointing upwards. And if you think about that, it's kind of designed to trap water and bring it in because it creates this channel. Mm. Um, But then you look at this other branch, which is the feather-shaped leaves. A lot of them are reduplicates, so they have their triangle pointing the other way. And you can kind of see them deflecting water, which doesn't make sense at first. But then you think about how much it rains in a rainforest. (laughs) And you're like, okay, well, you can see why you'd want to deflect some of that water. And it's interesting because in duplicate leaves to a lot of people just means the fan palms. So all the fan palms are categorized under this in duplicate umbrella. Uh, But then you have the genus Phoenix, which is the date palm. And it has induplicate leaves. And you think about it a little more, date palms are from pretty arid areas in terms of, you know, average rainfall and, you know, humidity and all that. So you can see why they would want to have those V leaves to channel every bit of water they get to their stem. And so, again, it's an exception. Almost every time I try and nail things down, it's like, oh, it's true except for this one. But yes, it is related to all the rest. And it's exciting to me that two of the most common ones I can point out, coconuts and dates, are so similar looking. But then when you analyze the nitty gritty, you know, they're so different and they went branched off in completely different times. So it's a good tool to just be like, yeah, look at how these things can change. And then from that split, you kind of have this, the next split, which is between these feather shaped leaves. Um, so it goes between Aracoidea and Ceroxaloidea. Aracoidea is what most people think about when they think of palms outside of date palms. So it's the coconut. It's all these little understory things you see on, you know, jungle photos. And mm. it's just a remarkably successful little branch. And then Ceroxaloidea, it's like a subgroup that was not quite as successful. But I think it might have been more prevalent at one point because it is everywhere you look at ceroxalon which includes the tallest monocot in the world ceroxalon quindiuense oh right 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 yeah just this um, you know it's in colombia in the quindio valley and it's just i mean you can look up instagram photos and just be blown away you know because it's a pretty misty mountainous area and then it just has these massive I mean, it's, they're the redwoods of the palms. <laughs> so you have, you know, these strangely temperate, extremely tall things in Colombia. And then you have Ravenea, which happens to be in Madagascar. So these two, you know, these, these brown, you know, when Gondwana split and all these plates were shifting, these paths and lineages of the palm family kind of got broken off. And then these two things that were related just started to do their own thing on different sides of the world. Wow. And for the longest time, it's like, I just couldn't wrap my head around. I was like, oh man, it's like Ravenance, rock song. Yeah, I can see it kind of, but it never really sunk in until I was in Madagascar. 
and wandering around looking for palm trees. And my guide, who was much better at spotting palm trees than me by the end of the trek, you know, as soon as I told him what to look for, he was my best friend and helper ever. <laughs> the guides over there have eyes like you wouldn't believe. You know, we'd be walking along, they'd be like, oh, there's a big one, there's a big one. So, you know, that would get me excited, and we'd run off into the bush. And it was towards the end of my trek, and we'd just gone off the side because they had seen these palms in the bushes. And I'm just like, oh, man, you know, I wonder what they saw. I couldn't really tell what they were looking at yet. And then I just see the trunk. And it blew my mind that the first thought that popped into my head is, what is a Siroxalon doing in Madagascar? And then, you know, my brain fog went away. I was like, this is a Ravenea. And then it just was like, oh, wow, they, they do look similar. You know, like the leaf scars on the trunk. I was like, wow, that's a, what the heck is a Siroxalon doing here? Did someone plant it? And I'm like, oh, I can see the relationship now, you know, because even just the trunk kind of shows you gives you hints at their lineage yeah. yeah and and that's something i really like about having a horticulture perspective or at least bringing that to the table in a big way is i think even more so mm-hmm. than a lot of people doing the pca work or the genetic sequencing work there's a mm-hmm. there's a deep familiarity and intimacy you get from growing these things and seeing them at all life stages and and just mm-hmm. spending a lot of time admiring something just in form and function, and then to be able to understand the phylogenetic relationships, but then integrating those two together, I think it's a a much deeper, very important understanding to have of evolution Mm -hmm. of life. And again, I think horticulturists that that take that extra leap have a better perspective on it than most of us do. I completely agree. And yeah, I mean, I can give my subjective evidence on that, where for years in California, I would just read every book. Like I had all the books and I'd read them and I'd, you know, just get my glossary out and just kind of pick my way through descriptions and just being like, man, I'm starting to learn a lot about palm trees. And that's what, you know, led to the passion, led to coming to Hawaii. But day one of starting this job, it just sunk in. I was like, I don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's the thing is now I have this opinion where it's like, once you grow it, you know it. Because when you grow it, you see the main missing variable in a lot of the books, which is time. Mm. You know, a lot of the botanists will get a message that there's a new palm tree, go out and describe it at that moment. So they get it nailed down, but they don't really give you a whole big picture of the time scale of seedling to fruit. Like a lot of times the description will say, you know, staminate flower absent or something. So it's like, yeah, they went all the way out there and it just happened to not have one of the parts at the time. Whereas at Floribunda, it's like legendary for having everything flower. Um, So flowers aren't really paid that much attention to when you think of palm trees, but like amazingly diverse. And that's the thing. Once you learn them more and more and more, you just start zooming in closer and closer and closer to be able to distinguish them. And as horticulturalists, we got as far as like the flowers and microscopes and stuff. But now we're getting maps of the genetics. So it's ruffling quite a few feathers in the horticulture world where, you know, things that were just so sure that they were close uh, ended up being reclassified. And it's just an ongoing thing. I really think we're in the, the sweet spot for just nailing down what we have before it's lost forever. Because, yeah, palms... They're pretty delicate in terms of just responding to climate change. 
So there are new species being discovered like this year. You know, we yeah. we were involved in just splitting out a new heterospathe, you know, just a few months ago. And one of the largest leaves of any palm, Tahina spectabilis, was only described in 2014. Jeez. So we had this thing that's big enough to be seen on a satellite image. <laughs> and, and yet it just kind of sat in western Madagascar. You know, and, and that's the thing is John Dransfield and uh, Hank Binchy and had been in Madagascar and wrote this fantastic book that just has all these different species, big, thick book, mind-blowing photos. And then over the years, we found so much more. So it just goes to show that they can spend four and a half years just hunting down every palm they could have found. And yet it was still like, seems like the tip of the iceberg. Jeez. You know, because like I said, Tahina wasn't even in that book. <laughs> yeah. So it's wild to think about that. But again, people can only go so many places and access so many things at one given time. And, and, and all right. of these are working documents. And like you said, we really are kind of getting at this sweet spot because the technology is there. It's relatively right. affordable. And the Internet for better, for worse, has connected a lot of people that, again, would have had a harder time getting to know one each other or reaching out to right. each other. And this is what I really hope to see moving forward is that you can combine these horticultural perspectives with the scientific realm mm. and meld them into something that's really good for not only just people and, and understanding, but for the plants themselves. Mm. I mean, it sounds like what you're doing there at the nursery is both, um, you know, propagating efforts and, and growing stuff mm -hmm. for the aesthetic and the landscape and the appreciation perspective. But it sounds like you're also giving back to, to science as well, because, again, having that time and, and, and devoting yourself to propagating these things, you have them at all different stages and can offer up material and collaborate with people that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, wouldn't be as easy if you had maybe one week out of the year where you had enough money and time to get down and go right. look for something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you hit the nail on the head because... Yeah, horticulturalists and the botanists have to work together very closely because uh, the horticulture scene moves much, much quicker than the scientific scene. And that's not an insult to scientific people. They have a lot more to work with and it's a lot more complicated. And the horticulturalists are just trying to propagate and being like, oh, wow, this is new, you know. Yeah. And so there have been eight or nine species that have been described out of this garden palms that Jeff got seeds in and then grew and then, you know, just posted photos, sent them to Kew Gardens and then gets the word back, this is new, <laughs> you know. So that's a lot of where I learned about Jeff is that there were these new species coming out of his garden. So he works closely with John Dransfield um, over the years and um, Dransfield, Don Hodel, like all these botanists know and love Jeff for what he does because they call it the Noah's Ark of palm trees. Nice. You know, nice. He's, he just wants to conserve what is here before it's gone forever. So he is a strong negotiator and just makes sure he locks down certain species, especially in vulnerable zones, just to make sure they're preserved in some regard. Because that's the thing is if we we're ever able to put the pieces back together in the future, we need the pieces. <laughs> you know? And Madagascar especially... There'll be species in every little nook and cranny. Like I said, if you just leave them alone in a corner for a while, you'll come back a few million years later and see something completely different. Right. You know? So you have all these like extremely specific lineages that are just, I mean, as we speak, there's probably been acres of, of them cleared out. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's the thing is like we have to work in tandem with the scientists just to pin everything down before it's too late. And yeah, it's part of the reason why I get excited about it is it kind of triggers that Indiana Jones, <laughs> you know, hang where it's like, man, I, I need to go deep into this jungle to see what's there. So, you know, it triggers the exploration. And um, once you know what to look for, it's like the most fun treasure hunt you've ever had in your life Oh man! because yeah. yeah i mean and that's the thing is i went to madagascar i walked the same path that countless people have walked before and yet i still saw things that i had no idea what they were and then i brought photos back to jeff he had similar photos from one of his tracks and so we have these photos of these things that no one's even growing let alone starting to describe. So they're still like, I, they're like these little pearls in the jungle where it's just like, you can trace it back to the bigger picture of your passion. But then it's like, man, how did you get here? Like so, <laughs> so specific. And that's the thing. It's a complete surprise. Yeah. You don't know if it's going to be a fan or a feather or a tiny or bifid or, you know, the, the range. But when you see it, it just kind of like, you know it. For sure. Know. So yeah, it ticks all the boxes for me. <laughs> yeah, which is amazing. And and I think, you know, it's so nice to have found that for yourself. And, and I'm really, you know, everyone should be happy for people when this happens. And, and to have it be in such a unique situation, where, where you're at isn't a botanical garden. You're not Q, you're not this major publicly funded uh, organization, which we right. desperately need. But, you know, botanical gardens and arboretum can't do it all. We, there's, right. there's no... There's no way, right? And so collections mm -hmm. like this are so vitally important right. because it's not about finding the next landscape specimen or the rarest of the rare. All of those are mm -hmm. important, but people that have these thorough collections, growing the things that might not be rare yet or are just kind of obscure and, and like you said, mm -hmm. no one's growing them. I mean, those sorts of collections, the completeness of them is the only way we're going to have pieces to put back uh, if we ever smarten up or, you know, just mm. these these preservation stations, so to speak, of, of mm -hmm. biodiversity on this planet. And, and that's where I think we need to rethink the way we approach conservation and really start to support these these very specific, oftentimes esoteric collections, because there isn't a demand for them necessarily. And, and again, mm -hmm. botanical gardens can only house so many things. Right. And because that's the thing, a lot, quite a few people collect palm trees. And because, you know, again, the either the rarity or the ornamental value, whatever, I've met quite a few people that will collect them and be interested in the in the new and the rare. Mm. But to have the deep, deep passion that Jeff has where he wants it all to be healthy and beautiful. And, and you know, he just wants to take care of every little bit and piece like there's not a palm in the garden that you couldn't go to him and be like, oh, this isn't looking, you know, healthy right now. He will just drop everything and be like, all right, let's figure out how to nice. help it. Um, so I think that's the difference is Jeff's not necessarily like, I guess, uh, you know, I don't want to be insulting, but a lot of people are like ego collectors right. where they want to have something just so they can point it out and be like, I have this, you know. Yeah. Uh, Jeff's yeah. not like that at all. He has this deep consideration for where it's from, how it got here, how precious it is in its own regard. And so it shows, you know, there's, I had been to botanical gardens in preparation for just coming here because I didn't want to look foolish in front of Jeff Martin. Uh, and, you know, they didn't even come close to preparing me. It's, it's, there needs to be a different word for what this is because it's just remarkable the the time and attention because 
He's been doing it as long as I've been alive. I'm 30 years old, and the garden is 30 years old. Nice. So to imagine, you know, Jeff just starting everything out right when I was getting busy being born, um, <laughs> just blows my mind. And it and just to have that age and the development and a lot of things is just it's a priceless experience because it saved me 30 years of time. You know, I just get to kind of step into this area. You know, a lot of the hard work is done, you know? And so scientists realized that as well. Last November, we had Kew Garden scientists come out just because it's so much easier to come to Jeff's to collect genetic material than it is to go to 50 different places on the globe to get them in habitat. Yeah, and just dealing with permits alone for that sort of stuff right. is, yeah, it's it's becoming too prohibitive. Right, the visas, the permits, everything. So you'll just see, like Bill Baker was here last November, and I got to meet him, which was, you know, incredible, because yeah. he is one of the leading palm scientists right now, and just has just a really deep knowledge on the scientific side. He's run a lot of the studies on the phylogeny and, and just trying to map them all out. Um, so a lot of the modern palm work has been done by him and just to see his reaction to the garden and his surprise where, you know, he's getting ready to announce these new species and then he's walking around and sees that we already have them growing and seeding. And he's like, oh, well, maybe you don't need to read my new paper then. <laughs> so, you know, and it, again, it goes back and forth where it's like we rely on the scientists because they can get nitty gritty with the whole genome structuring, and then they kind of rely on us to have something for them to study. Yeah. You know? No, I mean it's collaboration. There's no way around it. And and again, right. the internet's facilitating that. And I'm so excited to hear that these situations are occurring. It's just mm -hmm. there's no way we're going to move forward or get out of any of the trouble that we're in if we just keep sticking with our own specific camps and saying, well, they're busy growing things and stuff like that. It's <laughs> it's, it's not going to work. You know, this collaboration right. is vital to not only our future, but the future of life. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm not, I don't want to trick people into thinking that I'm like some sort of champion for palm trees and say that palm trees need to be the only thing in your garden uh, <laughs> because you see a lot of palm hate out there where people are well just like have this whole diatribe on their blog being like I can't stand people planting palm trees they don't bring the shade and you know they Weird. don't cool the air and all this and to me it's like that's the other end of the spectrum palms can be a very important part of the landscape but if people go overboard and just like cram as many palms as they can into their garden and just kind of have them just everywhere. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily appeal to me as well because I love biodiversity. Sure. It's just that palms are the things that stick out to me within that context where I'm just like, you know, like I said before, it clicks in my brain where I can see these things and then just kind of revel in the greater mystery because, you know, you see these things that are so different, but, so similar so it kind of gives you a slight clue about how life is and how life changes and yeah that's important across all plants and all people for sure yeah and that's beautifully put I, I couldn't have said it better myself that is that's the exact kind of sentiment we should be having yeah everything is great but there's always going to be that thing or a couple of things that stand out to you more and you got to respect that about yourself and just you know don't be ashamed to to really focus in or to not focus mm. in just go with what works and and as long as it lights a fire in your belly that's really what matters
you know, and not hurting anyone, of course, but (laughs) (laughs) calm love is pretty innocuous for the most part. (laughs) Yeah, true. Right on. Uh, Yeah, it just, it, it's become very passive for me in terms of, like, it's a passive passion, which is a bit of an oxymoron, but I just mean that the second I wake up, I don't have to concentrate on thinking about palm trees. Yeah. I just it just starts every day. I wake up a little bit happier now that I'm in this position because it's just this excitement where it's like it's a new day. I know I'm going to learn something new today. Let's get out into the garden. So you know, I spend the first half of every day just getting my fingers dirty and <laughs> hauling buckets of soil and stuff. And then at the end of the day, I just kind of get to simmer in everything I experienced that day, read more, kind of put the pieces together and get a bit better picture. And it's always exciting being around Floribunda because I could be reading a book and then just, you know, not quite understand something or want to learn a little more. And then I can walk out into the garden and just see it firsthand, which is not an experience I ever thought I could ever have. Wow. What a beautifully holistic pathway into this. And you're living a charmed existence. I'm, it's extremely exciting to hear someone that's been able to fall into it as well as you have. But, you know, if people want to find out more about you, more about the garden, you know, where do you recommend they start seeking out information or reaching out? Yes. Yeah, so if you want to see my photography work and just what the average day in the garden is like, uh, my Instagram palm.gallery is where I post at least once a day. So that's palm and then a punctuation period and then gallery. Uh, but in terms of the garden, floribundapalms.com. And that will give you a better history of Jeff and Sue and just how remarkable people they are. But we are launching a new website soon. So what you see now won't be, you know, it's getting a huge makeover, awesome. uh, which, which thankfully I get to help with. And that's another exciting thing where I kind of get to merge my two skill sets and kind of make this website about palms. So keep your eyes on there. And then, yeah, we, Jeff and Sue, sell palm seedlings by mail order. So on floribundapalms.com, you'll see the price list, and they're remarkably cheap (laughs) uh, for what they are. And Jeff is pretty much the only person doing it at this level. Yeah, I just, I'm in awe of his knowledge every single day. Um, So anybody out there, feel free to, to call him and introduce yourself if you love palm trees because he will talk to you and he will blow your mind. Like, that's <laughs> not even a, a question. Excellent. Well, that's great. I mean, Mike, I really appreciate you sitting down and sharing your passion with us. It's it's very clear you've you've made it. You're in the right place. The palms have a friend in you. And uh, <laughs> keep sharing it with the world, man. I, I really love your Instagram. You get great information, great photos, and you, you know, you're celebrating an, a, an amazing branch on the tree of life. Keep it up. Cheers, man. Thanks again for having me. I really appreciate this. And yeah, if I sparked some new interest in palm trees, you know, I'm happy to meet you. Just uh, message me on Instagram, anybody out there. uh, I'll be happy to palm talk with you. And I'm just getting started too. So yeah, I'm ready to start kicking in the high gears in terms of photography and getting into publications and all that. So yeah, thank you again. Excellent. We look forward to it. Have a great one. Cheers, Matt. Cheers. All right, go follow him over on Instagram. You will be happy you did. His profile, again, is palm.gallery. 
It's very easy to find. He posts some wonderful photos and just great natural history about everything related to palms. It's a wonderful photography page dedicated to celebrating this amazing family of plants. Again, this was a brief intro. It's really hard to do justice to a family this diverse, but like I said, I'm pretty sure Mike will be a guest on future episodes. Thank you all for listening. Just a reminder to go check out our documentary, Cascades, the wonderful product of a Kickstarter campaign we ran almost a year ago. It is finally up and ready for the world to see. YouTube.com slash plants. And with the holiday season fast approaching, if you're looking for a gift for the plant lover in your life, head on over to teespring.com slash stores slash plants and check out some of the wonderful merch we have for sale over there. And remember... 10% of your purchase is being donated to the Rainforest Trust. Other than that, I just ask that you tune back in each and every week. I've got so many amazing guests on the horizon. I can't wait for you to hear all of the great discussions I've been able to have. And if you're enjoying this podcast enough to support it, go check out patreon.com slash plants. If money isn't your thing, at the very least, consider reviewing this podcast on whatever pod app you used to download it. Okay then, that is entirely enough out of me for this week. I thank you all for listening, and until next week, this is your host Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone.